You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Some years ago, British missionary Hudson Taylor was scheduled to preach in Birmingham, England at the Severn Street Schoolroom. It was a stormy night. His hostess attempted to dissuade him from going in the torrential downpour by telling him that everyone would assume it was canceled. But was it not announced for tonight, Taylor asked. I must go, even if there is no one but the doorkeeper, he said. The meeting was indeed attended by less than a dozen people. However, there was such an outpouring of the Spirit's power that half of those present either became missionaries gave their children as missionaries, while the other half became regular supporters of Hudson's mission. Church, I bring this story before you this Sunday because Hudson Taylor is not the only Christian to encounter storms on his gospel mission, left to wonder, God, is this a sign the mission is canceled? But many in the sanctuary today have battled storms and sufferings, troubles and tribulations on our missionary journey. Remember, as the church, we've been called by the Lord to this gospel work, to live on mission for his glory in the furtherance of his kingdom. We've been saved by the precious blood of Christ, forgiven of our sins and trespasses, redeemed into God's own family, and set apart for his service. God has commissioned you and me to make disciples of all nations so that being devoted to the call of Jesus through the end of our lives, we would one day hear his beautiful voice, well done, my good and faithful servant. You and I have tasted the fruit of our gospel labors. We've enjoyed the pressures and pleasures at work of seeing God at work in the, of our children and our neighbors, family members, and friends, and watching their growth in Christ and being renewed by its grace. However, it is also on this Christian journey that we suffer the pains of the Christian mission. We love the Lord and desire to cross the finish line, but right now at this mark, many of us are burdened by daily trials, feeling pulled back and forth between encouragement and discouragement, hope and despair, and have become distressed and disheartened in the work altogether. And we wonder, God, what are you doing? Are you still with me? Should I continue this mission? Is what I do even worth it? There's a student in church today. You've been committed to telling your peers about the love of God while all semester you've questioned if God truly loves you. There's a young professional. You desire to be a faithful Christ-like presence for your non-Christian coworkers, but fear being viewed as disingenuous or ill-equipped in the task of evangelism. There's a parent. You've done your best to faithfully raise your children in the word of the Lord, yet every other week are tempted to despair at the world your children must live in. There's some ministry leader wrestling with the spiritual disappointment of seeing your ministry make real strides in the right direction only to regress shortly after. It begs the question, does it not? Why should we continue in our Christian mission? despite the storms and sufferings that seem to disappoint our mission. Surely this is the dilemma facing the apostles in Acts chapter 14. Throughout our series in Acts, we've been seeing God's unfolding plan to bring salvation to all the earth, Jews and Gentiles alike. Throughout our series, 
one of the key instruments in the early church's mission has been Paul, the apostle. Paul, who was once Saul, that violent opponent of the church, has been saved by Christ, appointed to the ministry, and is now commissioned in this chapter to go on his first missionary journey. He and Barnabas have been called together by the Holy Spirit for this work of bringing the good news overseas. The journey began in chapter 13. They've proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues at Salamis, converted the governor on the island of Paphos, preached the whole story of God's redemption in the city of Pisidia, and have now made their way to proclaim Jesus in Iconium. Their trek goes on. But what we find in our text is that on the backside of each ministry success comes a ministry mess. You can feel the tension rising off the page. Great suffering meets the apostles at every turn, though it is through their perseverance in their missionary journey that we gain insight and encouragement for our mission as the church. Why should you and I continue in our Christian mission despite the storms and sufferings that seem to disappoint our mission? In our passage today, God provides an answer for our question. But before we arrive at why we ought to continue in our mission, we learned how to fulfill our mission. So come along this morning. Let us accompany Paul and Barney this morning as they resume their journey. First church, we learned that if we're going to fulfill our mission as Christ church, we must continue to bring the gospel to those who will hear even after some do not hear. We begin at Iconium, where we see the power in faithful preaching amid persecution. Verse 1, the text opens, Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Iconium, that wealthy and prosperous town in the province of Galatia, known for its worship of the Greek gods and devotion to the emperor. As Paul and Barnabas enter this new city, they commit to follow the same pattern as they do throughout all of Acts, and that's making an immediate visit to the Jewish synagogue. And just as it was in Pisidia, this morning the sanctuary is packed from the front to the back. The synagogue is full of people of the city, eager to hear the word proclaimed. And already Luke the writer is building our expectation that something amazing is bound to take place. Can you see it, church? Paul gathers himself, marches to the pulpit, opens the scroll, and says, Brothers and sisters, hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus Christ is God's promised Messiah, the Savior of sinners. That day, Paul expounds the Pentateuch, explains the law in the prophets, makes his way through Hebrew poetry. And the people say, that's great, man, but what's the main idea? And Paul says, the main idea... Friends, it's always only been Jesus. When Israel wandered in the wilderness without food and water, but somehow their needs were supplied every day, it was Jesus. When an Egyptian slave woman named Hagar was visited in her mistreatment, and she said, you are the God who sees me, it was Jesus. When three Hebrew boys were pushed into that blazing furnace, but a fourth figure stood beside him in the fire, it was Jesus. When Abraham was nearing the sacrifice of his son Isaac, but an animal substitute showed up in Isaac's place, it was Jesus. And the Bible says that the apostles preached the gospel in such a way that a large number of Jews believe. Greeks come to faith. Such a move of God, such an outpouring of the spirit that listeners get saved. 
Many in the sanctuary place their faith in Christ for salvation. Friends, this is the mission of God. This is why we preach. Paul and Barnabas are ecstatic, overjoyed at what they have just witnessed, people of the city coming to faith in the Lord Jesus, seeing the fruit of their ministry labors, seeing conversions to Christ. But wait, as Paul is closing his sermon, as moms are rejoicing, dads are high-fiving, something happens. Their excitement is quickly interrupted by shouting from the left side of the sanctuary. The disbelieving Jews, those who refuse to believe the good news, stand up, stating they will not accept Paul's gospel. Furthermore, not only are they fixed on their own unbelief, they begin to prejudice the minds of the crowd against Paul and Barnabas. The text says they're stirring up the Jews, provoking members in the crowd, poisoning, embittering the minds of congregants. Out of their jealous rage, they work to turn the crowd away from the gospel and to themselves. This unbelieving church desires to snatch the faith of those who have just responded to Christianity. Because church, it's not only the college philosophy professor who is bent on convincing freshmen that the Christian faith they were raised with is actually folly. It's not only the false YouTube teacher trying to convince black millennials that the Christian tradition our grandmothers embraced is not at all African, but was the slave master's religion imposed on our ancestors. It's not only the friend or significant other who minimizes Christ's call to live in holiness or righteousness, but all around us, through voices and vices, the enemy seeks to upset the faith of those to whom we minister to pull those from our care from out of the fold. And what was just a testimony of the Lord's work has now seemingly been frustrated by trial and trouble. And this initial stirring by the Jews leads to the division of the city and the discipline of the disciples. While some indeed side with Paul and Barnabas, others side with the disobedient crowd. At last, a, a riot breaks out. And the city mob who just listened to the preached word is incited to insult and stone the apostles. Together with the rulers of the city, this unbelieving crowd goes beyond the law and banning them, but they plot to kill them, to stone them. Fortunately, in God's providence, Paul and Barnabas learn about this evil plot and make their escape from Iconium to the region of Laconia, the cities of Lystra and Derbe. But here's what we learn in Iconium. At every turn, when storms are raging, when persecution is mounting, when ministry becomes distressing, these men continue to preach. After the Jews poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against them, they remained speaking fearlessly for the Lord. After they're pushed out of Iconium, they continue to preach the gospel in the next region. Surely, they might have been disheartened after what had taken place. Surely, they could have feared what would occur at their next stop on the mission. Surely, what was originally three steps forward now looks to be five steps backwards. But they continue to preach the gospel, for they know God is not finished working. However harshly they are treated, they know they've been positioned by the Lord to be witnesses in their place. And so it is with you and me this morning, whether we're pushed out or move out, Make sure you take the good news with you wherever you go. Our response to trial and trouble on the journey is to continue to bring the good news of Jesus. 
continue to proclaim the gospel, to spread the fragrance of his goodness and his grace to our neighbors. For there are still humans who need to hear our message. There are still friends, colleagues, and students who want to hear our message. For we've got a gospel the world is thirsting for, a gospel that still saves souls, a gospel that will still mend your broken heart, a gospel that still has power over every disappointment, a gospel that still has power over hopelessness, a gospel that still casts out fear, a gospel DC still needs to hear. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Therefore, as Christians, we are to never stop moving. When we become discouraged in the mission, let us not assume the mission has been canceled. No, the mission remains. Fixed theology, flexible methodology. The gospel we preach remains the same, though the avenue or arena by which we communicate it is free to change. But wherever we serve, we must continue to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. Because when you keep preaching, God will use your mistreatment at Iconium to launch your ministry in Laconia. God uses the persecution in verse 5 to push the gospel out to the next region in verse 7. How many know where there is great opposition towards the church, there is great opportunity for the church? What appears to be a hindrance for ministry is actually a catalyst for ministry. Friends, we must continue to preach even when the storm shows up. From Iconium, Paul and Barnabas make their way to Laconian cities, Lystra and Derbe. And we go on to see what takes place in these cities. And we find that while we are to proclaim our faith, on the missionary journey, there may be those who do not at first grasp our faith. Thus, we, we fulfill our Christian mission when we are committed to engaging our neighbors who misunderstand our faith. It's at Lystra that we witness a divine healing followed by a human misunderstanding. The passage goes on in verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man who was sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. Lystra is a thriving market town, 20 miles southwest of Iconium, a place that values its local culture and Roman character. And Paul, like many of the ancient philosophers of the day, he does not preach in the synagogue, but on the street corner to the masses. Nevertheless, seating in the audience, listening to Paul's sermon, is a lame man who cannot use his feet. As you know, lame men are highlighted throughout the New Testament. Jesus healed a lame man after forgiving his sins in Mark 2 and told a lame man to take up his bed and walk near the pool of Bethesda in John 5. Peter healed a lame man, if you remember, in Acts chapter 3. But here in Lystra lies another lame man, one who has no mobility in his feet, is powerless to walk. Look at how the text describes him. Watch the repetition. Sitting who cannot use his feet crippled from his mother's womb, had never walked. You can feel Luke building this up to emphasize how serious the man's condition is and how impossible restoration appears. The man is incurable. Healing is impossible. 
But is there anybody thankful this morning that our God is not intimidated by the impossible, but he specializes in putting his touch on impossible situations? Anyone in the church grateful that Jesus has stepped into some of your impossible circumstances, problems you thought were unchangeable, chains that felt unbreakable, all you needed was his touch. He's got all power in his hands. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And listening deeply to Paul preach the gospel, Paul looks intently at the lame man. And Paul sees that he has faith to be healed in Jesus' name. Thus he commands him, stand upright on your feet. And immediately the lame man sprang up and began walking. What a miracle. The crippled man who had no capability to walk has now leaped after being miraculously healed. For the first time in his life, he walks. And the crowd, of course, is astounded. The bystanders in Lystra are amazed. Nonetheless, there is a misunderstanding to the miracle. The people of Lystra, seeing the cure, believe they are visited by the divine. However, they misinterpret who is divine and responsible for performing the miracle. Therefore, instead of worshiping God who worked the miracle, the crowd believe it's Paul and Barnabas who are divine and worship them as a result. As Romans 1 says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And this pagan crowd, having no familiarity with the true God, begin to esteem Paul and Barnabas as gods, falsely claiming them to be Zeus and Hermes, and moved to sacrifice expensive oxen and garlands to show honor. They saw the power of God on display right in front of their eyes, for God had condescended. He had come to them, revealing himself, though they were unable to grasp it was him who had shown up. And the apostles, seeing the sacrifices, finally understand what is taking place with horror at the idolatrous worship of which they are recipients, tear their garments, I like clothes. I would not be tearing my clothes. They rush out into the crowd and protest. No, what are you doing? And they begin to communicate to this non-believing crowd that we're mere human beings like y'all. We have come to proclaim the good news to you of the living God so that you should turn, change your mind and course of living from worshiping empty idols and turn towards the true God, the God who lives the God who saves, the God who you need to believe in. He's the one who performed the miracle. After all, he's the God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He's the patient God who allowed the nations to go their own way in place of exercising his wrath. He's the God who has not left himself without witness, but, but has plainly revealed himself to you as provider, sending you rain from heaven in fruitful seasons, satisfying your bodies with food and your hearts with gladness. God, out of his mercy and kindness, has been your source from the very beginning. In the same way, friends, we too live in a day where our Christian faith will be misunderstood. The good works we do, our commitment to scripture, our social ethic, our convictions and practices might be misinterpreted. And like the apostles, even after explaining the truth, neighbors still might not understand. But in the patience and grace of Jesus, may we not let the discouragement of being misunderstood deter us from trying again. We have no idea what seed God has just planted. We've been entrusted with the gospel. So we must be willing to engage those 
who do not understand why we do what we do. Moments pass here in Lystra. And just when you thought the story was over, my gosh, there's, there's another twist. Therefore, we fulfill our gospel mission when we remember to strengthen our brothers and sisters who have lost their ministry strength. Here we behold a Christian's affliction can be used for the gospel's advancement. Verse 19, the passage slows down. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. From nearby Antioch and Iconium, the unbelieving Jews from the first section, they've been keeping tabs, keeping track of Paul and Barnabas the entire way. And they move upon them to speak against them in Lystra. And with no legal authority outside their own territory, the Jews went over the crowd at Lystra to accomplish what they failed to do back in Iconium. Oh, how a mob will change his view of you so quickly. Paul, who was just praised as a god, has now become the target for persecution. They find Paul. They stone Paul and drag Paul outside of the city as if he were a dangerous false prophet. And the stoning is so severe that the crowd supposes Paul has died. But in God's protection, Paul miraculously survives. And personally, here is where I've decided, all right, I'm taking a sabbatical. Because at this point in the narrative, it seems as if there's just one trial after another. This is why remaining steadfast on our missionary journey is a spiritual battle. When we experience trouble seemingly at every turn, we're tempted to believe that God has abandoned us in the ministry. And if God is not present, if we're not seeing fast results, this ministry must be in vain. For if I see no impact, then maybe this is not where I'm supposed to be. Maybe this is not at all what I should be doing. And we become dismayed and saddened. And Paul might have thought, God, you called me to this ministry journey. I thought you'd be with me, blessing my ministry. But watch the beauty of Christian community in times of need. Verse 20 reads, when the disciples gathered about him, Paul rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. The disciples, the believers who had seen Paul stoned, encircle him in order to help him up. Often when you've taken a beating in ministry, after you've had a long week being dragged to and fro, what you need is a few disciples who will encircle you and help you back on your feet. This is our calling as the people of God, surrounding who have been knocked down throughout the week that we might help them back up and enter the city. And notice when the text says Paul entered the city, the Greek translation is literally, he went back into the city. The Christians who gathered around Paul enabled him to go back into the same ministry that just knocked him to the ground. And from there, Paul 
goes on to advance the gospel, preaching in Derby, making many disciples. But it goes a step further. After planting the church in Derby, where does Paul go back through? The Bible says Paul returns to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Where was Paul just rejected, mistreated, and dragged out? Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. But when you've been strengthened by the Lord, you have the power to go back into the ministry places that were discouraging to strengthen those who remain. Paul remembers the brothers and sisters in those three cities and returns to strengthen their faith and encourage them to stay steadfast under trial. The believers of those churches needed to be uplifted. They had seen the apostles go through hardship, and they themselves had endured some measure of persecution. And Paul goes back in to inspire them to persevere, to remain true to the Lord, saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The same places that were disappointing, Paul goes back in because there was still fruit on the vine. In the same way, maybe, may we be a church known for going back in, where people are running out of tough spaces. Where has God called us to go into tough spaces to strengthen the faith of those present? Hosea went back in. Jonah went back in. Jeremiah went back in. Even in disappointing seasons, there's still work to be done. And this is God's answer to why we ought to continue our mission, though storms arise because it is through affliction that we accomplish our mission. Through many tribulations, continued preaching of the gospel while enduring persecution for the gospel is how we will fulfill our gospel mission. Remember, storms are a part of your journey, for God is faithful to spread the gospel further, accomplishing his plan of salvation on the other side of our storms. This is the message for today that is through the cross that we receive our crown. Just as Paul said, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Our Christian lives are to tell the story of our Savior as well. As Pastor William Edwards of Mercy Presbyterian Church comments, what story do I want my life and ministry to tell? A subtle danger is to proclaim the message of Jesus' death and resurrection while expecting to live out a story that, though it may include some occasional difficulties, primarily shares a script with the world, exchanging the theme of death and resurrection for another story more appealing to this age. As a pastor on the college campus, I counsel students who say, Chris, I do not understand. I declared beforehand that this will be a year with no trials and no pain. But as followers of Christ, our lives are to be modeled after his own. There will be temporary grief here on earth before everlasting glory in eternity. And though we may be distressed and overwhelmed today, let us remember the teachings of the Bible. In the world you, have, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but unseen. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And through our conviction to proclaim the good news of Jesus in every season, 
we will be capable to complete the gospel work that we've begun, passing through Pisidia. Paul and Barnabas finished by crossing from north to south, entering Pamphylia. Here they preached the gospel of Christ in Perga and head down to Adaliah. And from Adaliah, they head to Syria, where they complete their very first minish, minish, woo, what a word, missionary journey. What a trip. Having been obedient to the call of God and faithful each step of the way, the apostles fulfill their mission. Through success and storms, they fulfill the work God called them to do. And when Paul and Barnabas return to Syria, watch how the story ends with a praise report. Reuniting with their church family, they stand up at Mosaic and give a missions report describing all God had accomplished among them, all the fruit that God brought through their ministry. God was at work the entire journey. Church, this is what you and I are called to this morning, to be faithful to proclaim Jesus throughout all our lives, one day being commended by the Lord for the work we have fulfilled. Keep proclaiming the good news of our God. Keep loving and engaging those who live around you, your neighbors. Keep strengthening one another in the love of Christ. And as I close, church, today we remember that, that God is sovereign, unfolding his plan of salvation in our midst, providentially moving to bring the gospel to new people and places. And he uses the preaching and persecution in our lives to push his gospel forward. As you and I minister in this fallen world, we become fatigued, stressed, and saddened. We see God at work, then are thrown off by affliction and trouble. Thus, we, we desperately need God's spirit to strengthen our inner being, to embolden us to remain in him. And by the help of the Lord, you and I will fulfill our mission. For we ought to continue on the mission when affliction comes, because it is only through affliction that we fulfill our mission. Truly, if Hudson Taylor would have stopped that night because of the storm, those six individuals would not have accepted the call to serve as missionaries. If Paul and Barnabas would not have ceased in the middle, the gospel would not have gone out to surrounding regions and elsewhere. But the real good news of our text is there was another one who did not conclude his mission until it was fulfilled. And by his finished work, you and I are in the sanctuary today. Born to a teenage mother and a poor father in Bethlehem, he was raised in a low condition. Growing in wisdom and stature, he learned the word of God as he got older. And this boy grew into a man beginning his earthly ministry at the age of 30. Being fully God and fully man, he was committed to the mission of the Father to seek and save all that was lost. Remember, he walked on the sea. He healed the sick and diseased. He opened the eyes of the blind, made the lame stand up, restored hearing for the deaf, forgave sinners, and set free those who were enslaved. But at the age of 33, his hour had arrived. The reason he was sent from heaven to earth, the time had finally come. Arrested in the middle of the night for crimes he did not commit, he was mocked, pushed, beaten around, leaving him with no physical strength to carry his own cross. 
But when he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but continued entrusting himself to the Father. And he hung up on that cross in our place, being in agony for hours. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He endured it to the end, crying out, it is finished. He died there that day, and they took him down and buried him in a nearby tomb. And just when we thought the story had ended, it was only getting started. Because Sunday morning, he got up. And through Jesus fulfilling his mission, now you and I, we can leave church and finish ours. Keep going, for the Lord is near. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.